We the people. We the people. We the people of the United States. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. In the summer of 1787, 55 men gathered in Philadelphia to consider how to make the government of the United States more perfect. Over the course of five months, they argued, debated, considered and rejected ideas, notions, and various systems. In the end, they created the Constitution of the United States. A document predicated on the idea that men can rule themselves by law. This is Constitution Thursday, a time when we look at the history, ideas, arguments, and interpretations of the Constitution, from its original creation to today, and how it affects our lives now. Well, welcome to take 19 of this show today. I really had intended to have this show done hours ago, but stuff kept popping up, and then uh, when I finally got a chance to actually sit down and do it, I had some technical problems, and so here I am, doing this over yet again. Welcome aboard, my friends. It is good to see you on Constitution Thursday, a presentation of the Dave Bowman Show. It... uh, it was interesting to me because a week ago I was planning today's show and I thought we were going to go into executive orders and social media and presidents and free speech and all that sort of thing. And boy, did that uh, did that fade out real quick, didn't it? On the heels of a murder, I'm not going to sugarcoat that, uh, in, in Minneapolis and the rioting around the country, it didn't take long before president of the United States took to the platform, both social media-wise and in his uh, press room, to inform us that if the local municipalities and states could not deal with the problem, he was prepared to step in and provide the United States military to do so, to restore order in the various places that were experiencing rioting rioting we've seen several governors including my own here in in washington state activate the national guard and use them as uh, part of this and it it always makes people uncomfortable and it should make you uncomfortable it should make all of us uncomfortable anytime the military is involved with law enforcement type things in fact we have a specific law that forbids this it's called the posse comitatus act but Even that has some problems with it. We have a long history in this country of racial tensions and racial frictions across the board. The vast majority of our history, it revolves around that question that nobody wanted to take on. When 
writing the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote in the original draft a scathing indictment of King George over slavery and how it was King George's fault that the United States, the colonies, as they were at the time, were trapped under the conditions of slavery and and unable to to rid themselves of it. That was uh, taken out at the suggestions of John Adams and, and Benjamin Franklin. And even in all of that, we still see much of that stress and strain in the original Constitution. The idea being that the only way they were going to get rid of slavery was to have a unified government that could deal with it. And they weren't going to have that if they tried to get rid of slavery in both 1775, 1776, and in 1787. Uh, When people tell me, and people often do, and I don't know why, but uh, I get this a lot from people, well, if I had been there, we would have solved it. No, you wouldn't have. This was a Gordian knot in the, the very fact that we still see issues today, and some of them we're going to talk about reminds us of the fact that there are no simple solutions to this because you're dealing with human nature. You're dealing with the human heart. And regardless of what religious position you take, it is very difficult to change a human heart. It is very difficult to change a human mind. And that said, the framers did the best they could to come up with a long-range plan that would allow the government to evolve in a way that would allow it to eliminate slavery. But it wasn't going to be able to do it right then and right there. And that's part of the problem. As I said, the president has threatened and or promised to send in the military as police. I have some experience with this. Oddly enough, in 1989, I was a military police officer. I was part of the Auxiliary Security Force at Naval Training Center Damn neck in Virginia Beach. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because there's there's other stuff to get to. There was a riot in over over the Labor Day weekend in 1989 that originally didn't seem like it was, but it was a racial riot. And the National Guard was called in. It was a huge mess because the National Guard formed a flying wedge down Atlantic Avenue in Virginia Beach and basically cleared the streets. Grabbed everybody that wouldn't move, tossed them in a tennis court that had been concertina wired up as a jail, and moved on. And what you don't, what, what nobody knew about that, what nobody saw about that was that the auxiliary security force had been activated and we had been put on high alert to guard the base. There were things on that base were, I don't know about now, but there were things on that base that fell under the definitions of of deadly forces authorized. And had some of those rioters attempted to enter some of those areas, it could have been a lot worse. Thankfully, they did not. But when we go back in our history, this is not anything new. This is not anything that we haven't seen before. In 1943, June of 1943, the nation was at war. The war manufacturing was really starting to gear up, and people were moving to areas of the country where they had not hitherto lived, previously or hitherto lived, and consequently there were a lot of stresses and strains in those areas. Detroit was one of these areas 
where a great number of African Americans and Southern whites were moving to Detroit for the sole purposes of taking jobs with the war manufacturing industry. There was not enough housing. There was not enough room for everybody. And there was a great deal of tension. And in June of 1943, this boiled over when, depending on which side you were on, rumors began to fly. On one side, it was that white men had had killed a black man. And on the black side, it was that white, or I'm sorry, on the white side, it was that black men had raped a white woman. To this day, nobody knows if either of those rumors were true, and in fact, they probably were not. But given the tender box that had been created, it was not surprising that this exploded into a racial riot in Detroit of 1943. And over the course of two days, much damage was done. Many people were injured, and indeed, passions were inflamed, tensions were raised, and unfortunately, when you're trying to fight the Nazis and the Imperial Japanese, war production was essentially halted in that time. Governor or General, sorry, General President Franklin Delano Roosevelt activated the, the military and sent them in to end the riots. That didn't go over well. These riots were, of course, a source of tension, and they were there was something that to my, it's kind of surprising to me today that they've been forgotten. I was having discussions with people the other day about other types of riots for minority groups, and they still cling to these memories. But this one, for some reason, everybody seems to want to forget, and I don't really understand why. You can't look at the pictures of it. You can't look at the newsreels of it and be comfortable. You just can't. And I like to put myself in history. I like to put myself in situations in history. And when I look at this photograph of a young black man standing next to what is almost certainly a Toledo scale with a white police officer, a big white police officer in front of him with his nightstick in his right hand and his left hand extended out and back to hold the young black man back from a crowd of white men who are yelling at him and pointing at him. And I wonder what was going on there. The police officer is looking at neither group. He's kind of looking down and to his left. His gun is clearly on his hip. He's probably talking to the young black man, but he's he's in a situation here where... He can't win, can he? But he knows he has a duty. He knows he has a task to perform. And when you look at this photograph, it's almost as if you could put this photograph in Minneapolis today. You really could. It's a scary thing to think about. The president used the military to end that particular riot. And eventually things went back to quasi-normal in Detroit with regards to war production, and we moved on in life. But this was only one of many, many race riots that have occurred in the history of our country. This is nothing new, folks. There's nothing, in, in the strictest of senses, there's nothing really unusual here. It is a product of who and what we are as a historic, as a historical entity. It's It's almost natural in some ways, I think, but it also is a little unnerving across the board, regardless of which side you might find yourself on. 
when Trump threatens to send in the military, the immediate reaction of libertarians across the board and people who who favor liberty over over anarchy is to immediately go to the Posse Comitatus Act of 1870. <laughs> the idea of the Posse Comitatus Act is that there is a law in this country that only under specific conditions, major exceptions as they are called in the bill, can the military be used for law enforcement. Now you're already saying to yourself, well Dave, since there are major exceptions and it's been done before, in fact it's been done many times before where the military has been sent in to deal with these kind of race riots, and Trump is threatening to do so, and every constitutional analyst out there is saying, well, yeah, he's got the president, he's got the ability to do that, he certainly can. This must be one of the major exceptions, huh, to that law. It is a little bit unusual because the, the Posse Comitatus Act is pretty strict, particularly when you're dealing with the, the idea of the military involved. This all, of course, came into being in 1807 when Congress got together and decided to pass the 1807 Insurrection Act, which replaced the Calling Forth Act of 1792. Many people are surprised to learn that the 1807 Insurrection Act is actually still on our books. It's still part of U.S. code. It has been amended, but the basics of it still apply. It applies when, a, when the requested by the state legislature or governor, if the legislature cannot be convened, to address an insurrection against that state requested by that state's legislature or governor if the legislature can't be convened. I think I copied that twice, sorry. But you get the idea. The, the state legislature or the governor, if the legislature cannot convene, have to ask Congress to assign this. Uh, to address an insurrection in any state which makes it impractical to enforce the law, whatever law that might be, and to address an insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination, or conspiracy in any state which results in the deprivation of constitutionally secured rights and where the state is unable, fails, or refuses to protect said rights, which is a fascinating phrase in 1807, because remember, there was no 14th Amendment here. There was no incorporation concept yet along the way. The, the intriguing thing here is that the 1807 Insurrection Act, which the president quoted and which others have talked about, very specifically says Congress shall have the power to do this. Congress shall have the power to do this if a governor or state legislature cannot. And only Congress shall have that power. The Posse Comitatus Act is weird in that it sticks to that, but it sort of gives the president that ability to to replace Congress in this process. So now we can say, well, there's a major exception here to the 1807 Insurrection Act, and that major exception is that the president, because we Congress people don't want to deal with this, can do this. And like so much of our history, it is this Posse Comitatus Act that actually comes out of racial tensions, the Civil War, the 14th Amendment, and the problems that we were having integrating the races together into a functioning governments in the South post-Civil War. And after the election of 1872, that was so mm, just combative, and to this day there are people that will tell you that it didn't go the way it was supposed to go, 
part of the reason that the Democrat Party in those days allowed the Republicans to win was they secured from them a promise that the military would no longer be used in the South to enforce the law, would no longer be there to support the the Reconstructionist governments in the South. Now, in those days, and again, this is a history, this is this isn't opinion, this isn't what I think should have happened or did happen, because we weren't there. In those days, the Democrat Party was heavily Caucasian and heavily anti-government, anti-Washington, and they wanted to regain control of these from these Republican carpetbag governments, which were allowing black men to vote and to participate in the government. They didn't like that. And by securing this removal of Southern troops from the South, by securing the Posse Comitatus Act to prevent the president from sending them back, they essentially were able to launch the era of the Jim Crow laws and those sorts of things that really contributed, again, to more racial stress in the country, including the Detroit uh, riots of 1943. No matter how you slice it, it keeps coming back to that. It keeps coming back to power and people who are not George Washingtons. They're just not, folks. They are willing to allow other people to be suppressed, other people to be interfered with in the interest of their own their own gain. And this continues to happen time and time again. And you wonder, in an era when, again, not every police officer is doing this, not every police officer is involved with it, but when too many are apparently getting away with things that are crimes against people of, of color, there are crimes against other people. I mean, how many times do we have to see this in a, in a nation where the concept of civil forfeiture isn't laughed out of a courtroom? What do we expect to have happen? And of course, it continues to happen. The use of the military as called forth under the Insurrection Act, like I said, it has a history. It has uh, an, interesting, an interesting history. Sorry, I forgot to put that slide in there for those of you watching. The, uh, that is where it's supposed to be. In 1916, President Wilson used the, the Insurrection Act of 1807 to literally fight a war against Mexico that had been undeclared. This is a guy who was trying to keep us out of World War I because he didn't, you know, that was his campaign promise. We kept them out of, world, we kept them out of the war. And yet, at the same time, he essentially used the Insurrection Act to invade Mexico in 1916 to chase Pancho Villa. There were other usage of it as well, as they sent the troops marching through North Carolina, or through New Mexico, sorry. Dwight Eisenhower used it to protect the Little Rock Nine in, in 1957. 1962, JFK used it against the Old Miss Race Riot of 1862, 1962. And again, he used it uh, a year later to enforce desegregation orders on Alabama public schools. Lyndon Johnson used it after another riot in Detroit in 1967, and again in 68, twice, both in Baltimore, Chicago, and Washington. And even George W. Bush used it after disorder following Hurricane Hugo in 1989. The last time it was used was 1992, after the 1992 Los Angeles riots. This has been done many, many, many times, and it's always done with a great deal of concern about the idea that if you start using federalized troops to restore orders, 
you're on that very fine line of posse comitatus. And because of the way Congress has allowed the president to decide these things, we're back into that question about, should one man have that much power? Should one person be able to decide these things? I think I'm pretty well on record as saying, I don't think so. The original 1807 Act, pretty close to right. Congress shall do this. But even in, even in 1807, communication around the country was very slow. And it was unlikely that Congress would be able to react quick enough, as Article 1, Section 10 says, where shall admit no delay. Today, I think it's somewhat different. Frankly, many people have come out and said the idea of using the military to end these riots is a bad idea. I personally agree. I don't think that it's a great idea for a lot of reasons. Number one, the military right now, if you haven't noticed, and perhaps you haven't, is kind of busy. They've, they've got a lot on their plate right now. And while I'm most intimately familiar with naval issues, I'm sure that the Army and the Marines and the Air Force and the Coast Guard are having similar things going on. There are ships right now that, you know, they, they've had COVID thing outbreaks and they've had uh, concerns about those things. And so they're having to adjust operational schedules including one ship that I'm particularly interested in um, that you know, people aren't being allowed to move. My voice guy, Alex, is, is stuck. He's, he was supposed to report to a school a month ago, but the DOD has ceased movements of, of, of people because of COVID and coronavirus. Military is, is busy right now. They got their own plate full. They don't need to be adding things into this. And let's face facts. The police have already been militarized to the point that what I mean, what difference is it? What difference is it going to make if you bring in military people? How are you going to tell the difference? Military, the regular police right now are wearing full on military gear. Aren't they militarized enough? Why do we need more more military? I mean, that's my opinion for what it's worth. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not telling you I'm right or wrong. What I'm saying is the idea that the president can do this comes back to the ideas of Dr. E.M. Malcolm. I know he's a fictional character from Jurassic Park, but you remember the scene? Your, your scientists were so busy trying to figure out if they could do something that they never thought stopped to think if they should do it. John Hammond's response to that was, condors, if I was saving condors, you would, you'd be okay with this. Well, you're comparing apples to oranges was Malcolm's reply, but... The idea that just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing. There's a quote in the New Testament. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I think there's a lot of not thinking right now across the board. There's a lot of people who just are reacting out of passion, out of anger, out of frustration, out of fear, whatever. Anxiety. And there's very little thought about, well, I can do something, I can do this, but should I do this is not a question that's entering a lot of people's minds. And it's clearly, in my view, and again, I try to keep my opinion out of Constitution Thursday, but I'm sorry, given the circumstances right now, I just, I don't see how I can. I don't think that the president is thinking in those terms. I think he's thinking in terms of what I can do, and can he do it? Sure, he can. Should he do it? Well, 
That's a different question, isn't it? Should he do it is a question that requires consideration. It requires thought. It requires sitting down and gaming the potential consequences. Should I do it is a chess game. Can I do it as a checkers game? You just move your pieces, jump on the other guy, and boom. In chess, you have to think moves ahead. If we do this, then what? If we send in the military, not the National Guard, again, the states have the rights to use their National Guard units however they choose. If they choose to use them as law enforcement, they can do that. I can tell you, based on my experience in 1989 in Virginia Beach, it's a very bad idea. And one of the things that Virginia Beach has said consistently since then is, we'll never do that again. We'll never make that mistake again. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It, all it does is inflame passions. And what you're trying to do is lower passions. You're trying to improve thought processes and communication processes. And when you up the, up the scales, you can't do that. The reactions, we've all been in fights. We've all been in arguments. We've all been in heated discussions. We know how this works. The hotter and angrier and madder we get, the less thinking that there is. And that's how you end up with people being pulled off of streetcars and slapped in the, in the street and bricks being thrown and that sort of thing. It's because reactionary thought processes aren't there. And I don't personally think that the president is thinking in those terms. I think he should think in those terms. I think he should be talking about, should I do this? Not, can I do this? He ought to be, in my view, adhering to the 1807 Act, which is, sure, I can do it, but I need to hear from some governors. I need to hear from Governor Inslee saying, hey, I need the National Guard to come in and, and take over police duties because we can't handle it. He needs to be hearing from that. Governors need to be hearing from mayors and so forth and so on, and they're not. So the idea of even raising it as a threat, again, you're so busy thinking about whether you can do a thing that you're not thinking about whether you should do a thing. And I'm not the president of the United States. Neither are you. And most, unless you happen to be Donald Trump watching this, neither are you, which means that ultimately it isn't our decision to make, but there will be a legacy of that. And there will be a legacy that continues on from where we started with this whole thing and how we've dealt with this problem and this issue through the years. That's what's gotten us to where we are today. And we have to face up to that. We have to acknowledge that. We have to know our own history, folks. We have to understand that the reason there's a Posse Comitatus Act is because of racial bigotry in our country. Not because we're afraid of a standing army, but because some people wanted power and they wanted to get the people that were keeping them from having power out of the way. Amazing how that works, huh? Ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to decide these things for ourselves. And we have to encourage each other to think. And we have to encourage each other to be wise, not just reactionary. It's going to be hard. It's going to be very, very hard. But we can do it. We've done it before. That's the beauty of who we are and what we are. And we should keep trying. Got to get going. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in life you love them very much. You'd miss them. If they weren't there, so don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. I'm Dave Bowman. This is Constitution Thursday. See you next week, everybody.